Thanks, everyone. We've had a great evening tonight with a lot of people participating, sharing in the story, reading uh, the different accounts of the birth of Christ. And uh, you may have thought, well, the, the participation is over. I can sit back and relax now. But I have uh, one last uh, ask for you, a, uh, a time of participation. You don't have to uh, uh, stand up or call out or raise your hand or do anything like that. But I would like you to think about uh, a statement. And I'm going to ask you to, to, to consider whether you think it's true. Uh, whether you relate to it, whether you resonate with it, and uh, uh, I'll just read it for you. It's a quote from someone named N.T. Wright, and he said this, There is all the difference in the world between waking up in a single bed and waking up in a double bed with nobody on the other side. Many in our culture may live as if God doesn't exist, but they still find themselves wondering why the other side of the bed still feels warm, and the sheets feel a little crumpled. I wonder if anyone relate to what he's saying there. Do you understand what he's saying there? Um, He's asking whether a person in a single bed is the same as a person in a double bed with nobody on the other side. Is that just the same person with two different sized beds, uh, someone with a little more leg room, or is it something different than that? I think they are, uh, they are different things. Uh, just ask a widow. Ask someone who has lost someone. Uh, ask someone who bought a larger bed hoping to marry, hoping that there would be someone on the other side. And yet feeling the, the loss. A feeling that there is not just a little more extra leg room feeling like there is something that's missing. What N.T. Wright is saying is that is our situation as, as a culture. Uh, at a time where, where many, of, uh, many people would try to live as if maybe we don't need God. Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe we can just go on without him and we won't notice. And he's saying when we try to do that, it is like a single person sleeping in a double bed. We feel that there's something missing. We feel that there should be something filling us and completing us. We feel the loss. We feel the warmth on the other side of their bed. And there are those memories, reminders, little pointers that that maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe there is someone that we are supposed to know, to connect with, uh, to draw near to. For some people, that's what Christmas is. Uh, Christmas is the reminder that maybe there is someone out there. Uh, Even the the carols that we sang tonight, some of the stories, if they are familiar to you, maybe they are hints or pointers, like those crumpled sheets, like the warmth on the other side of the bed. Maybe they are reminders to you that there's someone reaching out to you, someone who cares, a God who knows you and wants to be involved in your life. And, and, and that's what we are, are, are continue, considering tonight. And to do that, I want you to consider a, 
a particular individual, a person who uh, struggled with this, who, who felt God calling him, felt God inviting him, and yet struggled to know what to do uh, with that call, with that invitation, struggled to know how to respond. And as we consider his struggle, I want you to consider how uh, God may be calling in your life, how he may be placing reminders and pointers that he's alive, that he cares about you, he wants relationship with you, and how this person's struggle may relate to your own. When Jesus was born, we, we, as we heard a lot of scriptures tonight, but one of the scriptures that we heard uh, was the angel bringing news of his birth. And Matthew's gospel says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Although Jesus becomes the boy's name, this this Emmanuel, God with us, becomes like a title. It's something that defines his identity, his mission, uh, who he is and who he wants to be in our lives. He is God become human flesh, God with us, God wanting to enter into our lives and be that one who completes us, who is with us, who stands with us, who goes before us. He is God with us. Jesus is God entering into the world that we might know his nearness. And the message is that when we respond to him, when we reach out to him, we experience the reassuring, reassurance of a God who wants to be present in all of the details of our lives. A God who wants to, to, to stand with us and go with us. With him, we have the path towards living relationship with a living God. Uh, with him, we have the power of God, the presence of God, the comfort of God. And, and all of those are invitations to us. All of those are Jesus coming to make known to us what God wants in our lives. And yet, as we will see, uh, it is something that we need to respond to. They're invitations that are to be taken and to be received by faith. Without this Emmanuel, we will see, we, we feel like that person sleeping alone with a space on the other side of the bed. Feeling like there is something that was, to be, was supposed to be there and yet we feel, uh, we feel it's lost. Did you notice, though, that it says that this prophecy was first announced by a prophet, and it was given to a man named Ahaz. It was a prophecy that was given to a man who was ruling Israel's southern kingdom, in, and it came in 734 BC. Although he was a king and he lived a very long time ago, he is surprisingly relatable. In this particular year, he was having a really hard time. Syria was the regional superpower, and they just happened to have teamed up with the northern kingdom of Israel. And so it was like your big brother and your schoolyard bully teamed up, and they're going to make life miserable for you. And so they were 
they were doing just that. And so Ahaz's life was filled with these, a sense of threat, of worry, anxiety. What am I going to do? How am I going to cope? He was feeling overwhelmed. In fact, when he hears what's happening, he has what can only be described as a panic attack. Isaiah 7, 2 says, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And maybe some of you have faced circumstances this past year that have shaken you like that. You feel, you have felt something of that kind of, of anxiety and some, it just feels like uh, the, the ground underneath you is shaking. Well, God cares about those things. God is concerned about the th- circumstances in our lives that, that feel like they are threatening to undo us. He cares about things in our lives that, that overwhelm us, that cause us pain, that bring burdens. And we know that because he brought this particular prophecy to this king at this particular time because he cared about him, cared about the, 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 the pain that, that this threat had brought about in his life. And he wanted to bring help. God wanted for Ahaz what he wants for all of us. He wants us to trust him, to, to enter into a relationship with him where we can experience his care and concern in our lives, where we can know he is God and we, in a, in a relationship of dependence upon him, find his strength, his help, and recognize him in all things. Now, even though Syria and Israel were much stronger than Ahaz and uh, the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, God promised to protect him. He wanted to protect him, but as he did so, he wanted Ahaz to respond to him in trust. He wanted it to be a relationship, not just a transaction. And, and sometimes what we are looking for, if we're completely honest, is the transaction. We, we want God just deal with it. Just take it away. And God says, yeah, but I want something more than that. I want you, I want us to have have relationship. I want you to see that I'm the one who completes you. I want you to see that, that, that that emptiness that you feel in your heart, I'm the one that was intended to fill that. And so instead of providing a transaction, he invites relationship by offering uh, Ahaz a sign. God wanted to show him that he was the one who could save him. And he did that so that when deliverance came, when God did bring that rescue in his life, he would be able to see it was God that did it. He provided the sign, he showed me what he was going to do, and he did what he said he would do. It's there that we get the famous Christmas prophecy in Isaiah 7.14, and that was the verse that opened our service this morning, this evening. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It was this incredible promise from God. It was partially fulfilled in Ahaz's day, and, and it came as a reassurance that God would indeed protect him. God would do what he promised to do, and Ahaz was invited to rest in that promise, 
to find confidence, to find reassurance in. But the greater fulfillment would come with the birth of Jesus. It was God's way of saying first to Ahaz and then to everyone who has lived ever since, I'm the God who does what he says he does. I'm the God who keeps his promises. I'm the God who keeps his word. You can trust in me. You can rely upon me. And it is held out for us to do that very thing. Unfortunately, this incredible sign given directly to this king, given directly to circumstances that were causing him such pain, such anxiety, such stress, this prophecy had almost no effect on Ahaz. Didn't help. Instead of believing the sign that God gave him, he believed in himself and took matters into his own hands. He decided, I don't think I need that sign from God. I don't think think I need God's help. I think I can work this out on my own. I I think I can do it without him. Instead of trusting in God to save him, he made an alliance with another nation that initially felt like that was a help. But that other nation that he chose to rely on instead of God ended up becoming a greater threat, a greater uh, pain to him and to the nation than either Syria, Syria or uh, the northern tribes of uh, Israel were to be. And he made a greater mess of things. And more importantly, the sign was lost on him. The invitation to trust in God and to experience his care and concern, his compassion in his life was lost on him. Ahaz continued to live like a person alone in a double bed. Lots of reminders that God was there. Lots of reminders that God was still inviting him into relationship. Lots of reminders that God wanted him to trust him. Wanted God to be his rescue, his help, his strength, his guide. But he chose to leave those reminders, those invitations and not respond. And so as we look at Ahaz, and as we look at this prophecy, we have to ask ourselves the question, have we responded to the reminders that God gives that he is there, he wants relationship, he invites us to trust him? Have we responded to those? Have we reached out and laid hold of what God wants to do in, in, uh, in our lives? The promise of a baby born to a virgin was God's way of saying, I'm going to give you a sign and a way for you to to trust me. I I, I will give you eyewitnesses. I will give you accounts. I will give you uh, records that you can can trust and, and look into and research and investigate. I'll give all of that to you and I'm giving it to you because I want you to, to, to know that you can look to me as one who keeps his promises. You can trust in what I've, I've said. He wants you to hope in him. And maybe you're hearing that and you would say, honestly, Paul, I kind of struggle with that. I, I'm not sure that this just doesn't feel like something I, I'm, I'm really into. 
Often we will take a little bit of religion, but where it is pointing us to something deeper, we, we look for ways to, uh, to walk around. I, I say that because of uh, my own experience and what I've seen and, and uh, a particular study that was done. It was, it was done many years ago. At 1949, a group of students at Harvard University and Radcliffe University, they were subjected to a test. They wanted to learn something about human behavior and how people respond to, to things that are unexpected, to things that they are not anticipating. And so what they, were, what they did, they, were, they brought together these students and they showed them a series of playing cards. They had a, a deck of cards, and they showed them those cards, and they just asked them to identify them. Show us, we'll, we'll show you the card, you tell us what you see. The only trick about this particular uh, experiment was that they included some cards that were, were unusual, cards that they weren't anticipating. So, for instance, they had clubs that were red, hearts that were black. And the researchers discovered two things. When they showed them one of those unusual and unanticipated cards, they took at least three to four times longer to tell them what they were seeing. They, they had in their mind what, what, what the card should say, and so when they were presented with something that they weren't expecting, They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know. It, it, it just took them longer to get out what was, uh, should be fairly plainly obvious. It's, it's, it's hearts. It just, it's black hearts, and I'm not used to seeing that. I wasn't expecting that. But the other thing that they discovered, and this was perhaps more surprising to them, uh, they found that often the students refused to admit what they were actually seeing. It was as if their eyes were telling them something that their heart or their brain just wouldn't allow themselves to believe. So, for instance, when they saw a black four of hearts, they called it a four of spades. Because they know spades are black, but they've never seen hearts that are black, so that couldn't be it. And so they just said something else, said something that felt natural, felt believable, felt expected. But when they saw a red six of clubs, they said, the six of clubs, uh, it, it's a regular black six of clubs. It must be, but there must be some, there's some red light seems to be shining on. They, they wouldn't admit what they were seeing in front of them. And what the researchers concluded is that when something doesn't match our expectations, our tendency is to ignore it, to deny it, and to try to find some other explanation that will fit with what we already think so that we don't have to change to admit a different reality. Now, if that's the case with some playing cards in a little research experiment that doesn't have any personal implications, I've got to believe that something similar is going on in each of our lives when we are presented with truths about God that that may be new to us, that may be unexpected to us, that, that may have personal implications for us. And so be careful that you haven't done that with the sign of Emmanuel. When you're tempted to say, 
you know, they were talking about these prophecies, this particular one, some 700 years before the birth of Christ, it, that they said that a, a virgin will be uh, bear a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. Like, I don't believe in prophecies. That can't be true. That, 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 that just, uh, uh, that, that doesn't fit with, with, with my, my worldview. When you find yourself tempted to say that, maybe remind yourself that if God is real, surely laying out his plan in advance, announcing it so that when it does come to play, come, come, come to pass, that would be the most normal thing in the world. If God is real, you would anticipate, yeah, not only could he do that, in fact, he probably would do that so that people wouldn't miss it. When it, would, when it happened, people would be able to look back and say, yeah, he said that was going to happen, and it did. When you're tempted to say, Paul, I, I, I haven't taken too many sex ed classes, but I, I know that virgins don't normally give birth to, to babies. That, that's not the way things work. And so uh, I just kind of reject that whole part of the story. That couldn't be true. That's surely that's not, you know, we're not supposed to actually believe that, are we? When you're tempted to think that way, remind yourself, wait a second, if God is real, creating life out of nothing, that, that's kind of God's job. That's what he does. If, if there is a creator, then it, when he enters into this world for him to come and to, to, to create life where there is no life, that would be just the kind of thing that God would do. In fact, that isn't surprising at all. It would just be a further evidence to try to persuade each of us that he is real, that he is alive, that he does want a part of our lives, that he is coming into this world, that he might be God with us. And when you're tempted to say, God couldn't be with us. That just, that doesn't happen. God wouldn't want to be with me. If God knew what I was like, he wouldn't want any part of my life. I'm pretty sure about that. When you're tempted to believe those things and think about those things, remind yourself, if God is real, if there's a God who created you, then for him to want to have a central part in your life and mine would be the most normal thing in the world. A parent to want to relate to their child is every parent's desire. For a God to create us and want us to have relationship with him, well, that's not unexpected. That's not strange. That's not hard to believe. That's just the way you would expect it to be if, in fact, God was real and he was who he said he is. So don't make the mistake King Ahaz did. Believe in the sign God has given you. Uh, believe in the, the, the evidence that he has shown you that he wants relationship with you. He wants to be uh, the center of your life. And in fact, that, that space on the other side of the bed that we feel in our hearts, that, that longing for, for someone is God himself reaching out and trying to invite us into a living relationship with him. Put your faith in Emmanuel to save you. Turn from the other things that would distract you, the other things that, like Ahaz, I think I can do this on my own. 
I think I got this covered, God. Maybe I, I don't think I need you to be a part of my life. I kind of know what I'm doing. I think I'm strong enough. I think I, I, can, I can cope without you. When you hear those voices, remember the signs that God has given you, the invitations that he has made, the reminders that he holds out, and those invitations to relationship, invitations to trust, invitations to reach out and lay hold of all that God wants to do in and through your life. When you put your faith in Jesus, you experience the wonder of God with us. A God who wants to be involved in our lives, a God who wants to go before us, a God who wants to stand beside us, a God who wants to hold us up and lift us in the circumstances of life. And if you know him, if you have experienced, if you've tasted that, then find your confidence this Christmas in Emmanuel. Find your confidence in a God who loves you enough that he would go to the trouble of making a, a, a prophecy 700 years in advance so that when it came to pass, you would be able to look back and say, that's just the kind of God I have. I can trust him. I can lean on him and know that he'll hold up. And know that he did all of that to persuade you, to, to, to assure you, to comfort you to help you to know, I can know him. I, I can find confidence in him. And I know my hope is real. I know that he's at work in my life. Enjoy his presence in your life. He's a God who is with you, and that means he'll never let you go. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, Thank you for the way that you care for each of us. Thank you for your love, your compassion. Thank you that you cared about the worry and anxiety of a king that seemed to want to have nothing to do with you. Who does that? Thank you for that love that reaches out. The love that seeks to reassure If you went to that kind of trouble to prove your love to a king who was just doing his own thing, surely there's hope for all of us. So give us the courage to believe. Give us the faith to read the signs. Help us to turn to Emmanuel. Help us to experience the miracle of God with us. Fill us with your comfort, your power, and the reality of your presence. For we ask you in Jesus' name, amen.